Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week, Fitbit has launched the new Fitbit Charge 4. The new fitness tracker adds GPS for the first time, making it a very attractive proposition. And Pocket editor Chris Hall joins us to walk us through the announcement. As part of Sustainability Month, I've been talking to Stephen Pryor, the co-founder of Forest Carbon, about how we can all plant trees to save the planet. And PocketLink contributing editor Cam Bunton gives us his verdict on the new Beats Power Beats headphones. Are they any good? Find out in a bit. But before we talk to Chris about the new Fitbit, I wanted to tell you about our Plant a Tree initiative we've launched here at PocketLint. We've teamed up with Residio, the new home for Honeywell Home, to plant trees in your name for free. We've already planted a thousand trees ourselves, but we want to plant a further 3,000 more and need your help. We're going to do it all on your behalf. If we reach our target of 3,000 trees, it will mean we're offsetting around 900 carbon tons, which is going to make a big difference. That's the equivalent of a thousand return flights from Los Angeles to London, or the average CO2 a family of four uses over. 150 years yes a big number to help us help the environment all you have to do is tell us the mac address of a honeywell smart thermostat that is active in your home or office the thermostat can be already installed and be used or you can go out and buy one and it's completely new and we just need to know that it's been activated it must be active and you must tell us before the end of this month you can find the form on PocketLint via a link on our homepage. Right, back to you, Chris. Tell us more about the new Fitbit Charge 4 fitness tracker. Well, the Fitbit Charge 4, as you might guess, replaces the Fitbit Charge 3. And what it's doing, importantly, is adding extra functionality into the mixture for this fitness tracker. The headline thing here is that it's adding GPS into the device, which is the first time that Fitbit has had GPS in a fitness tracker band. Now, anybody who's been following the Fitbit story will probably know that this all started with the Fitbit Flex as a band, one of the first bands quite a long time ago, and slowly Mm. been adding more and more and more. And by the time we get to the Fitbit Charge 4, which is going to be available this month, you'll start of getting to to the same stage as you are with some of the smart watches out there and some of the some of the bigger sports watches so not only do you get 24 7 heart rate tracking you get sleep tracking you get gps so that you can get an accurate plot of where you've been you get spotify music controls you get fitbit pay and you also get a whole range of smartphone notifications that will work through that device on your wrist and this sounds, I mean, that sounds like a lot. It sounds almost like what a lot of the smartwatches can do, but I presume this still keeps its tracker roots or do we start to see that merging even further? No, they very much stick to the design of the previous Fitbit charge. So this still looks like a band, although there's a chunk of it, which is now the digital, the sort of display, the touchscreen display on the, on the face of it. It's an OLED display. 
Uh, and that means that you can still get to see lots of information. It really has evolved beyond the band, but it hasn't gone to the full chunky watch status. And I think that's why the Fitbit Charge remains popular. It's easy to wear. It's easy to use. The Fitbit platform is very good for fitness and stuff like that. There are some things in here that you won't be using at the moment. So the step tracker, you probably won't be using much of that. And there's an argument that currently GPS is perhaps less important because people are doing less outside. But in some areas, there are lots of people who are embracing the fact that they are allowed to go out and run. And then having GPS in a slim device like this is going to prove really popular. And in terms of cost, are we kind of looking at, you know, now smartphone prices, uh, smartwatch prices because of all this extra functionality? No, the Fitbit Charge 4 is going to be around £130 in the UK. So that means it still fits into the sort of advanced tracker band pricing. Some of these things are really, really cheap, but I think Fitbit adds so much more functionality and has such a great platform and some very clever technologies surrounding that platform to do analysis on what your heart is doing and what your sleep is doing and stuff like that, that it does come in at a, a, a reasonable price that for a lot of people is going to be very accessible whilst giving them all the functionality that they need. And how does this fit into the range? Because you know, as you said, when Fitbit first started, it was kind of a, a, a step tracker, effectively. Then they've obviously gone to the top end with the smartwatches, didn't they? And, 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 and things like that. So does this just sit in the middle or is it sort of replace other things or is it getting a bit confusing? Um, they have restructured the lineup over the last few years. So you have the Fitbit Inspire, which is really now their entry level place. This is the sort of tracker bands that you can get for under a hundred pounds and they have an they have the inspire then you move up to the charge which is slightly more sophisticated than that and only a little bit more expensive and then after that you move into the watches the watches give you a lot of functionality bigger screens a lot more you know customization options and stuff like that so the versa and the ionic which are fitbits two smart watches offer a much wider range of functionality overall but they do put the price up quite a bit more and some people just don't want to wear a watch. Fitbit Charge, it does sit right in the middle. It's a fairly established line. You know, this is the fourth generation of them that we've seen so mm. far. And it really does, it's the it's the sort of sweet spot where the basic fitness tracker and the sophisticated smartwatch meet in the middle. And it's it's sort of a it feels like a winning formula because you see so many Fitbit Charge devices out there. They're popular with the, with gym goers. They're popular with casual runners. You know, it's not as overcomplicated as some of the more advanced sports watches from companies like Garmin and Polo, which give you so many metrics. You really have to understand what to do with them. But it does a lot more than a step tracker did in the olden days. And so I presume this is. It sounds like this is going to become almost the de facto one that you go for. That kind of hitting the sweet spot. So are we presuming it's going to be really successful? I would imagine that this will be really successful. On previous devices like this, you've had to have your phone with you to compare the data to get a GPS location. And adding the GPS chip into this thing, and it says that this is going to work without any downside to the battery life. So the battery should still last you seven days. You'll be able to go out, say I'm going for a run. Well, it will automatically detect that you're going for a run and then you'll be able to know where you've been how fast you've been your elevation changes and all of that extra detail which means that it's much more complete in its offering much better for the device that it is especially as it's launching at the same price as the previous model that didn't have gps still to come cam gives us his verdict on the new beats power beats headphones so you're not really losing anything and actually you you do kind of gain battery life 
uh, in that these can go for about 15 hours of playback before you need to plug them in and charge them. As part of our focus for Sustainability Month this month, we've been talking to Stephen Pryor, the co-founder of Forest Carbon. Set up in 2006, the company has planted over 7 million trees in 135 new woodlands in the UK. Partners include Microsoft, Fosters and Partners, the Architects, Nominet and even us, Pocket Lint, who've all got involved to plant trees and help the environment. But how does the system work? What's made Stephen start the business in the first place? And how can, more importantly, you get involved yourself if you're keen to offset your carbon footprint? I started by asking Stephen to explain what Forest Carbon actually does. Uh, we're a small business. Uh, we started 15 years ago and we were set up specifically to uh, basically get more woodlands created in the UK and use business carbon footprint uh, to fund that. And and how did you get started? Like, did you just suddenly think, I'm going to plant a tree? <laughs> um, it, it was twofold. I, I was sort of between countries and between careers. So I was doing an MBA at Durham and unbeknownst to me at the time, my future co-founder James was sort of thinking about this um, he was involved in the Scottish forestry sector and he suggested this as a business uh, a research topic for the to the business school for um, dissertations uh, so I was the one that selected the project and that's when I met James and then we went from there and so in that time how has the how's it all evolved uh, so I suppose slowly at first and then and then with increasing sort of intensity in the last couple of years, two or three years, I guess. I mean, we for the first kind of first four or five years, we had we had day jobs and worked evenings and weekends, which is probably a familiar story for anybody who's started their own business. Mm. Um, and eventually it sort of w- went to the stage where it could em- employ both of us full time. Uh, and that we're now we're up to five of us. So that's been the sort of progression over 15 years. Um, we've planted in that time. We are pleased to say we've together with the, the partners we work with businesses uh like 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 you guys and, and the sort of different landowner partners we work with we've planted about coming up for nine million trees in the uk um in 172 wow. new woodlands and so to give us an understanding of nine million trees over 15 years what does that what does that actually not only entail but what does that mean for for climate change for the environment and things like that uh, well, it's it's a couple of million tons worth of carbon capture underway, carbon dioxide capture from the atmosphere. So there's that kind of immediate, obvious offset benefit, I guess. Um, although that does take some time to achieve. Uh, the other benefits would be the the sort of multiple benefits of those woodlands, and they've each got their own characteristics. They're, they're all over the country, but they would be things like uh, flood mitigation, for example. We've planted quite a lot of uh, projects that are specifically designed to to reduce downstream flooding. Uh, so that benefit starts to accrue quite quickly on the site. Um, once you put a fence up and keep livestock out of an area, you get biodiversity starting to come back quite quickly. Uh, some of these projects in the future will be sustainable timber. Uh, some of them are community woodland projects with footpaths and things through them. So they, they all do something different or, or more than one thing. And you talked briefly, you mentioned there something about the Woodland Carbon Code. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about what that is and, and, and what that involves? Yeah, sure. That, that's the quality assurance mechanism. Uh, it's set up in 2011 uh, by the Forestry Commission for the government. So we, because at the time that happened, we were the only people really doing this in the UK. So we we lobbied them saying that we needed a quality assurance standard and then we helped them design it and set it up. Uh, so it's come quite a long way. It's nearly nearly 10 years old now. Uh, it is, it's ISO certified. If you've got any ISO 
uh, aficionados uh, listening in that it's, it's an ISO 14065 accredited standard, okay. which means the project, <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> uh, it's, it's the serial number for greenhouse gas accounting um, standards. Um, but it just what it means is that UCAS, the UK Accreditation Service, have looked at the standard and they've found it to be fit for purpose. Uh, and then they've accredited or appointed some auditors to to certify the projects to that standard. Um, so that means that we have, you know, independent review of all the different projects, the quality of the project, the carbon calculations at the site. Uh, obviously, also, we have to prove that the trees actually got planted. Um, and then we have to go back and monitor them over time. So that that's what, you know, gives businesses the assurance, I guess, that they are they are supporting something credible and uh, tangible. Um, and then that also enables us to issue carbon credits, which again, is might be kind of a bit, a bit of a mystery to people, but it's just a carbon credit is really a, an electronic public record of who invested in the project and how much investment they put into it in terms of reflecting their carbon footprint. And do you use any technology to, to monitor all that? Do you, is it just a case of someone says like us, when we decided to plant a thousand trees with you, do, do people just come along and say, right, we want to plant these trees. You grab your shovel, you go out and you start digging holes, <laughs> putting trees in, or is there, do you just have to use technology to understand further or map these things or, or work stuff out? Yeah, it's, it's becoming more technological, I would say. I mean, at the moment, um, you know, there's in a lot of the locations where we do plant trees, there's no replacement for people getting out there on a quad bike with shovels because you just can't get machinery to the site. Um, we also need to make sure that the trees are, are planted, you know, properly, that they're, they're well grounded and so on. So again, it's not something that necessarily can be done remotely just yet i know there are kind of projects in spain where they've had drones you know drop it, planting trees but that we're not there yet uh, as far as the monitoring and, and auditing of the projects go that will be something that i think will be very possible via remote sensing in time uh, at the moment it just involves us going up there with wet weather gear and uh, counting trees and measuring them Right. And so, but do you think in the future that might be able to be done by drones, for example? I know a lot of farmers talk about surveying their land, you know, with drones and things like that. Do you think you'd, we'd get to a point where that would be the same with, with the forest? I think so, yeah. But, uh, either either remote sort of sensing itself, which is uh, is a, a technology, or just drones with, you know, with high quality uh, cameras on them would probably do the job. Because uh, we don't have to survey the whole project. We just have to do a, a series of uh, randomized plots, depending on the size of the project. And how does how does with the Woodland Carbon Code how how do they worked out where these where the forests go is it is it kind of worked out and said right well this is near a city therefore that's going to be better for the environment there or is it just we've managed to get a piece of land or I mean could I you know I don't have a huge garden but could I just suddenly turn could I start planting in my garden and say oh it's carbon code ready uh, you you could theoretically it would be massively uneconomical to audit that project through the code. Um, but yeah, I mean, the code itself is just is just a quality assurance standard. So it's not the thing that's specifying where we where we plant land. We are the ones doing that. We're actively looking for third party landowners of all different types, farmers, estates, charities, local government, uh, the Crown Estate. We're, we're looking for landowning partners we can engage with who will make a permanent land use change in law. Uh, and then we're kind of working with them to design the project and take it through the certification process. So the the project locations will be anywhere based on a kind of willing seller, willing buyer basis. Um, 
the carbon calculations are project specific because that will depend greatly on species mix, um, soil, altitude, latitude, um, all these different variables go into the carbon calcs for a specific project. And so does that make it, are there certain parts in the UK that therefore in theory yield better trees to give better carbon offsets to in, in that approach? Or is it once you get down to it, you just, it's all kind of similar? Uh, generally, they're, they're going to be not that dissimilar. Uh, there's not going to be a kind of a, a, a two or threefold difference between different types. Uh, you know, roughly speaking, the, the higher up you get in terms of altitude, the, the slower the trees will grow. But there are some coniferous species that love that kind of ground. Um, so it, it does really, it's, it's the, the mantra we always kind of use is right tree, right place, right reason. So, you know, generally speaking, you'll, you'll find the right project for the right location. And what are the, you know, you hear a lot of offsetting uh, programs and, and systems, and obviously planting trees is one of them, you know, buying solar ovens elsewhere or hydro or all those kind of things. What, what's the main benefits of, of planting a tree in, over, you know, over some of the other offsetting sort of scenarios that you get? Uh, well, I suppose we, we think it's the, it's the multifaceted uh, thing that a tree brings to the, to the sort of situation. It's not just about capturing carbon. That, you know, that alone, if, if the only thing you were seeking to do was capture carbon, then trees might not be the best thing anyway because they take quite a while to do that. Um, but it's just all the other benefits they bring along with along with carbon capture. It's, you know, I sort of touched on them earlier, flooding and, you know, water quality, air quality, um, sustainable sources of timber for the for the economy. Um, you know, we're the, we're the second biggest importer of timber in the world, for example. So anything we can grow here that's sustainable will take pressure off old growth forests elsewhere. So it's just the, it's just the many and varied other benefits which will accrue locally. Um, a ton of CO2 captured or avoided, it doesn't really matter where in the world it occurs. Uh, we all benefit equally. But however, get, getting more woodlands planted here, the benefits are local. Um, and they'll help us sort of adapt our landscape as well to a, to a changing climate. And so how can people get involved? Do you need to be a big business? Can you be an individual? Is, how, does that, how does that work? Uh, no, not not need to be a big business. Uh, we, we've we've dealt with you know businesses of all all shapes and sizes and individuals too, um, on a kind of a carbon footprint. If you know your carbon footprint, which is which is where we started talking to you guys, then you know you yeah. can come, come to us and say our carbon footprint is X. Can we can we offset that? Um, we've also set up a carbon club, which is designed for small businesses and and families and individuals where you probably don't know your carbon footprint, and you know unlike the Marks and Spencers of the world, you perhaps don't have the resource within the business to calculate the footprint. Um, so we would sort of say to you, well, we've done some calculations for you. And as a, as a sort of a rough guide, uh, if you have this many employees or if there are then this many of you in the family, then your carbon footprint is likely to be about this much. Um, so this might be a good starting place to join the club at that level um, until such time as you do manage to calculate your footprint more accurately. And so what is going on to that? Then if you're an average family household, what could you, what should you be, you know, assigning to, if you wanted to offset or, you know, plant a tree, what, what's the kind of, what's the cost involved? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the average family, we think would probably, uh, again, this was based on sort of four, the typical nuclear family, I guess, four people in the household. Um, we calculate that as 20 tons per year. Uh, I'm just frantically fishing around our website now to see how much that costs. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so 20 terms a year for a household would be 17 pounds per month. Um, but that's, that's kind of flexible in that um, if you know your footprint, you can enter at whatever level you know, you, that you know about. Uh, and then the small business club was set up for uh, 25 tons a year was the, was the bottom end of that. And that was aimed at kind of businesses with up to 10 staff, you know, not too much mileage and relatively small spend on materials that are excluding stock. Um, and that's at 21 pounds a month thereabouts. So um, we launched those clubs last year and we've had quite, quite a sort of quite a good take up actually so far. Brilliant. And what's the, what's the end goal? I mean, is it, do you hope that there's a tree on every corner of every street of every house? Or, you know, is it what 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 do you hope to to achieve in the long term for for forest carbon? Well, I suppose the huge the huge aspiration is that we need to triple the rate of woodland creation in the UK between now and 2050, and we need to triple it very quickly uh, to achieve net zero by 2050. So, you know, whatever part we can play in, in getting that to happen, I think is our is our objective. Um, and we're, you know, for, we're only a small business, as I said, five people. But we've, in the last five years, we've accounted for about seven percent of all all UK woodland creation. Um, mm. So I think, you know, we're definitely punching above our weight. And the, the longer and the more we can do that, the better, I think. While many of us might crave a pair of new wire-free headphones, there is still a strong market for wired sports headphones in general, and Beats knows it. The company's latest update to the PowerBeats range keeps the connecting wire between the two headsets, but upgrades the design and performance to match the PowerBeats Pro offering launched last year. Pogolins Cam Bunton joins me fresh from a series of runs to give us a lowdown on what's to like and what Beats could have done better. So Cam, what do you think? So they're actually really great for working out, obviously, as you'd expect they would be. Um, they're really comfortable to wear for fairly long periods. Uh, they've got the same design as what Beats introduced with the Powerbeats Pro. Um, so that means, unlike the Powerbeats 3, the sort of cabled ones that came before these ones, they're not as square and uncomfortable and rectangular. It's more rounded and curved and angled. Um, so they're just easier to wear, especially when you're running. They redesigned the cable on the back as well, so it's not that flat cable that sticks to the sweat on your back of your neck when you're running or working out. I used to run with the regular Beats. I think it must have been Beats 3, and that was always, it just it gets stuck in your T-shirt, or it'd just be horrible. So that's that's now fixed. That's now fixed. It doesn't have that particular cable. It's got a, a slimmer sort of rounded cable that just doesn't stick, and you don't really tend to feel that it's there at all. So... Um, They've done a lot of work on redesigning them for comfort and ergonomics. That that makes that's probably what makes the biggest difference in a pair of workout earphones. That's what you need the most, I think. Is there anything? I mean, that all sounds brilliant and wonderful, but is there anything that yeah. they haven't really got right this time around? Um, I mean, when you compare them to the Powerbeats Pro, uh, they don't have the features like uh, auto sensing when they're in your ears. So if you take them out, um, they won't automatically pause your music. You have to press the button. Um, the other thing that they've done is obviously they've got a lightning cable uh, connector, which is great for iPhone users. But if you're an app Android phone user, you can use these earphones, obviously, but then you'll need to have the cable that came with the earphones to charge them. So it's not type C charging, which would be maybe more convenient for non Apple users. I suppose that way it would allow you to use your power cable to charge your earphones. And obviously this one, you, you've got to kind of get carry another cable with you then. Yeah, unless you're an iPhone user, obviously you already have this cable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing, obviously, is noise cancelling isn't great again, but that's 
a good thing if you're out on the road at night running and you need to hear what's going on around you to be safe, but not so great if you're in the gym and they're blasting loud music over their own stereo speakers. So it's similar to the Powerbeats Pro in that regard. And in terms of the Powerbeats Pro, how is the sound quality the same? How is there, Is it just that one is wired and one's not? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the only difference with the sound quality. There, there is no difference. Basically, it's that's it's just that one's got a cable connecting the two earphones, and the other one doesn't. Apart from that, it sounds the same. It almost feels the same when you wear it because it has that same design. So you're not really losing anything, and actually, you you do kind of gain battery life. Uh, in that these can go for about 15 hours of playback before you need to plug them in and charge them. Uh, so that's obviously longer than the nine hours you'd get taking your Powerbeats Pro out of the case. So if you're going to do some really, really long uh, exercise sessions, um, these will go longer. But that's a bit extreme. <laughs> and, and just remind us then, the, the, the price for a cable is, because I know the, the Powerbeats are the pros are about 190 pounds aren't they so yeah what, i think they what are these about at? 220 um these are 129 so you're almost saving about 100 pounds uh, compared to the original retail price of the powerbeats pro um so that's you're basically you're saving a lot of money you're getting the same sound you don't get that completely tether free experience that you get with a powerbeats pro but everything else uh, is pretty much the same or at least all the things that matter are the same with the powerbeats but I suppose then also on a positive note, it means that sometimes I'd get this with the Powerbeats Pro is that I haven't put one of them in the box properly. And so then you go to go out on a run yeah. and it doesn't connect. And you obviously don't have to worry about that scenario at all. No, exactly. Because all the battery and components inside it, you just plug it into the cable to charge it. And it even has the, the fast fuel thing where you can plug them in for five minutes and that will give you an hour's worth of battery. So even if they've run flat and you've realized that before you've gone out for a run, you can just plug them in put your running shoes on and then take them off charge and just go out well that's it for this week's show and don't forget if you want us to plant a tree on your behalf all you have to do is tell us the mac address of a honeywell smart thermostat that is active in your office or home remember the thermostat can already be installed and being used or you can go out and buy a completely new one and then just let us know about it but it must be active and you must tell us before the end of this month you can find a form on PocketLint via a link on our homepage. Until next time, pip pip. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.